So we're coming to the end of our January sermon series that now has spilled into February because of the snow. And um, so it's a sermon series we've been doing talking about new things. What's new was the name of the series. And today we're talking about what's new for Severna Park United Methodist Church in the coming year. And uh, we're doing that by way of a sort of a state of the church address, sort of where things are and, and where things are going. You know, every year the president gets to address the country, whether things are good or bad, just to sort of name where things are going, what they hope to accomplish during that, that coming year. So I want to take a first a look back a little bit at 2015 with you. And looking back at some of the highlights, one of those highlights for me, now this is obvious one maybe for a preacher to say, but I think we had some amazing and powerful moments in worship last year as the whole family of God. And I'm going to help have you uh, help describe what those moments were for you. I know what they were for me, uh, and we, we get the benefit of helping to plan and serve and be part of all of those worship experiences, but you get, get to, to come and be part of them too. So where, where did you experience God's presence and God's grace and the power of God's spirit moving in this place last year? Here are a couple reminders, uh, but where did you personally experience that? Anybody? In Winter Relief, and the worship service that we had coming out of that. So in, the wor- so in worship, uh, we, having, somebody said this at, also at 9.30, having guests with us that we had served alongside of during the week and then having them be in present in worship with us. Where else for anybody? Yes? In the hospital. So sometimes you get to experience God's presence in the hospital. Worship follows you into the hospital. It's not just here on a Sunday morning. Communion, that first Sunday of the month ritual when we gather around this table and we remind ourselves of the need of grace and we get invited back to this table uh, that connects us with this ancient story. I, uh, some of those pictures that, that uh, are on there, uh, in the center is the Confirmation Sunday on Pentecost, the laying out of hands. And I love that picture because you've got the mom and the dad in the background and, and uh, just that holy moment. We had moments of remembrance on All Saints Sunday. There's Bill lighting a candle in remembrance. We have moms with babies. We had so many babies and baptisms here last year, uh, close to 40 baptisms. A lot of people have named baptisms. The day that somebody's, a couple people, both at, at 8 and 9.30 said, the day my child or my grandchild was baptized. That was a sacred moment. We had seasons of uh, worship together during Lent last year that, that sort of spilled over through Easter. And you see uh, Christine DeMuth, who was with us and did the early one morning musical uh, in the person of Mary Magdalene, the Sunday right after Easter. How many of you remember that? Her powerful musical performance here. Uh, we just came through a really great season of Advent and Christmas here in life, the church. Lots of times when our children have been present with us in worship. Uh, we've been making intentional efforts to integrate children in worship, and they're here with us in, uh, in the summertime. They were here with us more regularly because of the HVAC work that was going on. And so we designed our worship series to accommodate that and to reflect that. And, and so Jesus and the kids was one of the, the whole month of July was devoted to that. And we looked at family, ancient modern family and stories of family in the Bible. And, and, um, and every Sunday when we have them here for, for communion is a, is a sacred time. It's our way of saying that children are no less a part of the family of God than the adults. But, uh, and so we're trying to make that very present and clear to people. Your vision and compassion helped establish living well on Wilkins. It was just last February, about a year ago, that we voted as a congregation, it might have been this Sunday a year ago, that we voted to take this big, bold step of faith, to step up into a ministry that we'd already been connected with for a lot of years, 
and now to claim it and to fund it and to be part of the vision of expanding that ministry. Uh, Nicole will tell you she was just yesterday at Living Well and, and Wilkins and with a, a room packed full of 23 volunteers, women who are interested in engaging in that ministry and being part of that. And there's an orientation going on. I was there with a group of seminary students back in January. Uh, they were doing an immersion experience in um, Baltimore and they were learning about sort of the hard realities of urban ministry, but also the deep joys that come along with that. One of the places they visited was Living Well. And they, got to, they, they wanted to come see us because they wanted to see how a suburban church can commit and be very present in urban ministry. So we were sort of a model of that. How can a church that may be out here in the suburbs still claim its place in the city and claim that as part of our ministry? Um, Looking back, we had our children and youth were so much a part of the highlights. You know, they continue to be welcomed and loved into the faith every single week here. Whether you're talking about Sunday school classes or vacation Bible school, whether you're talking about youth retreats or ASP or senior banquets, all of these sacred moments, I, some of my favorite moments last year were just hanging out with our children, hanging out with our youth, and all of the ways that you are planting seeds of faith in them, and they in turn offer their faith back to us. It's, it's a two-way street. It's not just a one-way thing that we're giving them faith. No, no, no. They bring faith back to us, and they inspire deeper faith in us as well. And I love being part of a church that values and claims youth and children as part of the family of God. We celebrated our big 5-0, our 50th anniversary, you know, which seemed like a big deal at the time, but, you know, we've got a lot of years to go. You know, 50 years is a great start for a congregation, but it's really kind of small. I mean, there are churches that have been around for 100 and 200 and 300 years. Uh, we, we got to do it in a way that helped us sort of name some of the important things that in our past. We talked about ways that the music ministry has grown, the missions ministry has grown, our outreach to youth and children have grown. And then we had a great culminating celebration. You remember this, but we had a bunch of former clergy come back. We had a great festival outside on the lawn, complete with a dunking booth. I love that picture of John Brewer, one of my favorite pictures from last year. We had, uh, we had a whole congregational pictures of different worship services that day. You know, this was a snapshot in time of this congregation right now at this point in history. But we're celebrating 50 years as a congregation. If you look back on 2015, everywhere you turn, you run into mission. Mission, mission, mission. It's just everywhere. Uh, it is, whether you're talking about our own kitchen where we're offering something, uh, a warm meal for people in winter relief, or you're talking about Heaven's Kitchen where we go every month, whether you're talking about Kentucky with ASP, or you're talking about Costa Rica with VIM, uh, or you're talking about a prayer vigil down in downtown Annapolis marking the lives of the homeless who died last year because they were out on the streets. And so our witness extended even there as well. It's just an amazing thing to be part of a church where you're going to be assaulted by uh, sign-ups every Sunday for a way that you can give back, a way that you can volunteer. So if you go down to the fellowship hall today, you heard it from Heather this morning, we still need a few more people to fill in the gaps for our winter relief. Now here's one I'm really excited to, uh, and some of you will be really excited to see this too. Your sustained generosity over the past three years enabled us this week to pay off the Parsonage mortgage. Isn't that great? <clears throat> now, now our goals were bigger than that for the capital campaign. Originally the goals were to pay off all of our debt. We weren't able to get there. 
but we were able to accomplish a piece of it, and it's a step forward. Uh, and it will eliminate $15,000 of interest in our budget every year. That's a pretty significant thing. And it's because of your generosity that we were able to get there and to do that. So here's a picture of the actual mortgage burden. No, it's not. It didn't really happen quite like that, but you, you get the idea. Now looking ahead to 2016, what are our priorities and our challenges as a congregation? One of the big ones is that we are looking to intentionally build cross-racial understanding and relationships. Some of you were part of the book discussion that took place last month, uh, Go Set the Watchman. And it was a conversation about race and about how we see each other. We're particularly looking to build and renew a relationship that's been long-standing with Asbury Town Neck United Methodist Church. We had uh, Clayton and Lisa McCarl come out of church today talking about how they remember when the first disciple class was offered here. It was a joint class with Asbury Town Neck and Severna Park. And they said that was some of the richest conversation that they'd ever had around the scriptures. Because it was people from different experiences, different parts of life, sharing a common faith together. And the reality is, if you look around here, we are still pretty white. And if you were to go to Asbury Town Neck, they are almost entirely African-American. And we need places in our society, in our culture, where we just talk to each other, where we know each other, where we build relationships with each other. So we're looking to do something more than just sort of a choir exchange, which is a nice thing, like a one Sunday thing. We're really looking to build relationships. Uh, Mel, Merritt, and, and Nicole and I are going tomorrow to scout out a project in Baltimore to be part of the healing of the city, but we're gonna, we wanna do that jointly with Asbury Town Neck. So to be in shared mission together, building relationships along the way. So we'll be, you'll be hearing more about that partnership all year long. Uh, Enger Muratecki, who is our uh, provisional deacon, is going to help us spearhead that relationship, sort of be the point person for that. We're shooting for 103% of our budget this year. That's not to spend 103%, but to raise 103%. Now the reason I say that is because we came so close this past year. We raised, we spent, we we raised 98.8 of what we spent this past year, which sounds great. It's still a little bit of a gap, $17,000 gap, but we want to exceed in this coming year uh, our budget. We've had three years in a row, and really five of the last six years, where we've run a small deficit here. Not a big, scary deficit, but we've run a deficit five of the last six years. The three years uh, that we've been in a capital campaign, it sort of makes sense. We've been raising over a million dollars over these last three years in addition to funding our budget. So it's not surprising that we would be just a little short on our budget. But now that we've come out of that capital campaign, we really need to focus on shoring up our own financial reserves here. And I want to be in a place next year at Christmas time where I do not beg you for money to help us meet our budget. Well, I, instead, I am encouraging you to give to a Christmas Eve offering that we're going to decide to give all away. Wouldn't that be great to be in a place like that? That's the goal, and you're going to hear more about that over the course of the year. That w that's the goal that we're shooting for. How do we get there? And we need to start building that in uh, early on. The... Um, Another priority and challenge is we want to continue to equip and identify new leaders in the congregation. I'm going to invite the leaders who are here today, who are part of our church leadership team, to come forward because we're going to consecrate you and pray over you today. We're going to have you introduce who you are. This picture I just grabbed out of a bunch of pictures, one of my favorite pictures from last year. But all those people are serving in leadership in our church in some way. Lynn Weber was on SPRC, Dave McKinney on our church staff. Jerry Cullen did like 17 terms as SPRC chair. Uh, Sherry was on finance committee. And these are some of our leaders who are here with us today. I'm Diane Netherland. I'm the current UMW 
uh, president, United Methodist Women. Hi, good morning. My name is Tim Krippendorf, and I'm the current president of the Finance Committee. Dave Chafee, I'm the new chairman of uh, your church council. Heather Krauss, one of the two lay leaders. So you see listed up there, uh, some others, we, we consecrated about uh, 10 or 11 folks at, at the 930 service as well. And Nicole doesn't know she's going to pray for you. I've prayed for you guys at, at 930, so she's going to pray for you now. But we're also going to lay hands on you. And I ask that you kneel. And I want you as a congregation to join in this prayer in your hearts as we pray for our leaders because our leaders depend on you. They depend on the Spirit of God to lead them. Uh, and we, in turn, depend on them to help us get where we need to go and where we need to be listening to God together. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the leaders who kneel before us now. They have heard the call and they have answered the call to serve. We ask that you would provide them with the patience and with the grace and with the compassion and the vision to continue to grow your church. We ask that you would do so for all of the leaders present here throughout the morning and for those who could not be with us. We ask that you would keep us focused on the path that is ahead. We also ask that you would surround them with lay folks who are willing to encourage them and uplift them and support them and resource them in their work so that they might not feel that they walk alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can you give God thanks for some of the leaders that we have in this church? One of the goals is to continue to expand who gets invited into leadership and continue to identify new leaders in the congregation, um, young leaders, uh, people who have only been here for a little while. And so we're not just recirculating the same people, asking them to carry a disproportionate amount of the load. We want to deepen expand our culture of welcome here, what it means to be a congregation. Now, Nicole and I can only be so nice on a Sunday morning. That's just the reality. There are limits to what we can do. I, I hope that you think we're nice, at least. Uh, but there are limits to what we can do from up front in terms of making this a welcoming place. What people will really remember is, did you talk to them? Did you go out of your way to make them feel like they were welcome here? And again and again, we can't do that for you. We have to do that together. So I want all of you to think of yourselves as serving on the welcome committee of this congregation. Every single one of you are deputized to be part of that welcome. So that if you don't know somebody in church, even if it turns out that they are somebody that's been here for 10 years, if you introduce yourself to them and they learn your name and you learn their name on a Sunday, that's a good thing. It's not an embarrassing thing. So just go out of your way to make others feel welcome. We'll be talking about how do we do that? How do we do that in processes? We're looking at that from the church staff side. But you are the church's welcome. You provide that more than we can provide that. Now, I've been asked a few times in my year and a half here, what's my agenda for the church? And a lot, a lot of my first year, quite honestly, I spent sort of listening and observing and trying to figure out what was already going on here and how do I fit in to what's going on here. But if I have an agenda at all, I think it, it is rooted in Scripture. And I think that's the question that was sort of being put to Jesus that day. Jesus was uh, being asked by the Pharisees, as he often was, questions to test him or challenge him. He said, so Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And this is how he answered. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. It is the first commandment in Orthodox Judaism. It's the Shema. 
It's what every good Jew was taught to recite. Uh, you, the, you shall have no other gods. I am the Lord your God, the one God, and shall love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second that Jesus links to it is our love for neighbor. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so if I bring any agenda to the church, it's probably the same agenda uh, that I've brought to all of the churches I've served over 30 years. And it's this hard and this simple. It's love, serve, and follow. That's what I get up every day trying to to do as a leader in this congregation, is to help you love, serve, and follow. To help us to love, serve, and follow. To do that as deeply as we can, as passionately as we can, as faithfully as we can. And it sounds simple, but you know that it's not simple to do that, really. It takes intentionality, it takes heart, it takes energy, it takes commitment. And I want you, if you have any mantra, maybe this will be our mantra for the year. And I'm not going to practice it with me right now. You ready? Love. Uh, You can repeat after me. Here, I wasn't very clear in my answer. Love. Love. Serve. Serve. Follow. Follow. Love, serve, and follow. If we were doing that, it's not very original, I realize. It comes right out of the Bible. But it's powerful enough to ground our feet and to set us in the right direction to where we should be going every single day as individuals and as a congregation. And I'm excited because during Lent, we're going to get to dig into this a little bit more. During Lent, our theme is finding our way again. Finding our way again. And it's about following the way of Jesus. I want to share these words as I close. In the preface to this book that's called The The Way of Jesus, A Journey of Freedom for Pilgrims and Wanderers, Esther DeWall is quoted as saying, I shall not find Christ at the end of the journey unless he accompanies me along the way. I shall not find Christ at the end of the journey unless he accompanies me along the way. And I want to put my own corollary on that, and that it's a two-way street, that we accompany Christ along the way as well. We follow Christ in the way of Christ. This is what he says is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is about adventuring with him toward freedom in every sphere of life. It's a journey into relationship where we simply live in Jesus, where his life flows from within us as springs of living water. As we taste of this new life, we will not settle for anything less than moving in the flow of the Spirit. We will not settle for anything less than living in the flow of the Spirit. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's to love God, to serve our neighbors as brothers and sisters, and to follow this Jesus. Will you stand and reaffirm your faith with me as we use this affirmation of faith?